Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And now it's not Simon, it's Joel. Give him a huge round of applause. <laughs> Joel is continuing our series. Joel, I'm going to pray for you from down there because I've stolen your time. Have an amazing time. Right, folks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, so quite a few people have come up to me so far this week and said, um, it's going to be amazing. We've been away to wildfires. What they didn't say was we've been listening to some of the best and most amazing preachers the world has to offer. <laughs> So let me tell you something. If you've read your Bible, you'll be fully aware that God anointed a donkey to talk to a prophet. <laughs> I said this to my wife earlier. I said, this is my opening little joke. And, she went, and I said, it could, you know, I'm going to say it could be worse. And she said, yes, it could be better, couldn't it? So there we go. It's going to be one of those sort of days, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, right, let's start with praying. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now. More of you, less of me. Father, I ask that people will remember the message you have for them today and forget who told it to them. Amen. Right, so uh, we're starting uh, a new chapter of our new series, which is a study in the book of Galatians. So if you haven't been here or you need to catch up, you can just get it on any podcast service um, so you can listen to the first couple of uh, uh, sermons in this series. Uh, Galatians is a letter uh, to the church in Galatia. So weirdly, I'm doing a sermon on someone else's sermon, which seems a bit odd, but you are now hereby given homework. Before we even start today, okay, later today... I'm going to ask you to carve out a little bit of time to read the letter to Galatians, uh, number three, chapter three, um, uh, in the message version. Now, if you haven't got a copy of the message paraphrase Bible back at home, then go on the internet and Google it, and you've got access to every version of the Bible that has ever been written, because they're all there. The reason I'm saying that is because when I read this passage, which I'm now going to uh, talk about, I read it about 20 times, and I sat down and I went... Yep, no idea. No idea whatsoever. <laughs> um, so it may well be, I'm giving up on that already, uh, that as I go through this today, you find it, some of the words are a little bit difficult. Sometimes I think, oh, you know, the preachers in the Bible, they could have written the English better. <laughs> but of course, it's a translation, so it's not even their fault. But I'm not going to blame the translators because I'm in awe of those people who gave their lives to this. But it isn't truly going to be properly easy to read. So bear with me, I'll do my best to explain it to you. So let's start with the first section. New Ways is the title of today. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now I don't know about you, but when I come into church, I don't like to accuse you lot of witchcraft on a regular basis. I think you might consider it a little bit rude. But anyway, here we go. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? Was it really in vain? So it's an encouraging word. Nice, comfy chat. Well, it isn't, is it? It's a proper rollicking for the church in Galatia because they had made a really serious error 
but they didn't really realise it. Now, the error they'd made, among others, was to do with circumcision. Now, awkward topic, probably won't go there too much, but basically cutting off a gent's bits when he's a child uh, in order to satisfy something called the ceremonial law, which uh, the Jewish tradition and faith requires. Um, Now, we might think sit there now and go, well, this ain't going to be a problem for today. Do you know what? Actually, it it was a problem for the church, maybe even 30 years ago here. My father and quite a few other people of that age were circumcised because of something called the holiness movement. Now, the holiness movement was a move of the church to get back to uh, right ways of living and holiness with God. Nothing wrong with the movement except, like all movements in the church, sometimes it goes a bit too far because everything needs to be held in the right balance. And so people in the church, and if this has happened to you, I'm not, this is not condemnation, thought that to be holy before the Lord, you needed to have your children circumcised. Sometimes, let me have another go. Perhaps we think in order to be holy before the Lord, we need to observe the Sabbath on a Sunday, so you can't take a job where you work on the Sunday. Or maybe we think to be holy, we need to read our Bibles at least 10 minutes a day, regardless of what we've got going on. This is things around the holiness movement. The things themselves aren't wrong. In fact, they're a good thing, generally. But do we need to do them? Well, Paul has a very interesting view on this. And what's more interesting on this to me than anything else is he said, have you experienced so much in vain? Now I was thinking, what is he talking about here? He's talking about spiritual maturity. Now, I know I bang on about that every time I come here, right? But in order to grow up in God... We have to go through painful stuff. And this church, being a fledgling church, had gone through a lot of painful persecution. People had been locked up, people had been stoned and abused and shouted at and lost their jobs. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it, to what's going on in our country now. If you're not aware, people are losing their jobs for standing up for their faith on a weekly basis. You can get something called Christian Concern and see a bunch of uh, Christian lawyers who are uh, defending these people in court. We are fooling of ourselves if we think that persecution isn't here. It has arrived... And now it's coming for us. So they had gone through a lot of pain in order to take on the new life that God had given them. And he is saying, Paul is saying here, look, you're in danger of lobbing away all that good work that you did. And it wasn't easy. Now, if you've ever done something that was a bit hard, then you don't want to have to do it again. Maybe, um, here's a good example. I've lost nearly two stone since pretty much last time I preached to you. It hasn't been easy. I've had to be a bit hungry. I'm going on holiday next week. I am not going to overeat and have to do any of the work that I've already done. Okay? Because it's been painful and I don't want to do it again. And that's the principle. Okay? The principle is we must be sure we understand the gospel of Jesus, the message that comes to us from God, so that we don't accidentally slide back and end up going through the pain of getting ourselves sorted out again. Okay. Now... I want you just to have a little think about the first time you understood the message of Jesus in your life, i.e. that God loves you, that he is calling you, that he has forgiven everything that you've ever done and has paid the price uh, of his own life in order for us to be in right relationship with him. Now, those are just words that fly around in the air, but at some point, I would guess 95% of you in the room here have had a genuine experience. Whether or not you can remember when you first became a Christian, a genuine, heart-changing experience. It's amazing, isn't it, to hear about Andy's recent one and the, uh, the energy that flows out of him because of his understanding of the grace of God now is infectious to us. But maybe yours is a little bit 
you know, not quite so recent, so you've kind of let that slip a little bit. So I'm going to put on a little song. I think, for me, this is the only song that really encapsulates that moment, just for like a minute and a half, and I'm going to ask you to think about that moment. Try and drag it out of the annals of your mind somewhere. If you, like me, can't even remember someone's name on a Wednesday that you met on a Tuesday, just have a big dig, dig around in there and um, see what you can think. Precious sight, my Savior stands dying for me with outstretched hands. Oh, precious sight, I love to gaze, remembering salvation's day, remembering salvation's day. Though my eyes linger on the sea. Right, don't get too much into it. We've still got a few bits to go yet. The reason I'm asking you to think about that is because in the, in the Old Testament, there is the story of the Exodus. And I was listening to a talk on the story of the Exodus recently. And for those of you who don't know, the story of the Exodus is when the people of Israel, so God's chosen nation, were held in slavery in Egypt. And then God rescued them and they came out. And they didn't come out easy. They came out with a lot of bloodshed. They came out with a lot of trauma for everybody involved. And it was a, an escape, you know, like, like, the, like you see on the telly with the great escape. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just, oh, we'll have a little saunter out. It was a proper escape where they had to be rescued from an enemy army. Uh, and God brought them out. And it was the first time that they had become a nation. But it wasn't very long afterwards that they built themselves a golden calf and started bowing down and worshipping it. Now, that just seems a little bit weird, especially when God was hanging around in the physical form of a pillar of fire and some smoke and stuff. It wasn't like they couldn't even see him, which is much more than we get these days. Have you ever wondered where they got the gold from? I mean, a golden calf's quite a big thing, right? It's a lot of gold. Anybody know the answer? Jewelry. Where did they get the jewelry from? Right. The Egyptians gave it to them to get rid of them didn't they? Superstitious. They were afraid of them, so they gave it to them to get rid of them. So they, God not only rescued them, but gave them a payday on the way out. And they used that money and melted it down to worship it. I mean, it doesn't get much more offensive than that, does it? And what they said during then and other times was, we'd like to go back, thanks very much. We'd like to go back into slavery. Now, question for you. When a slave runs away, so fast forward to the 1700s, when they get caught, what happens to them? They get punished, whipped. 
Nobody gets caught escaping from slavery and goes back without punishment, do they? And that applies to us too. If we think we can go backwards from where we came into the Lord, do you think the devil's going to go, and we have an enemy, by the way, which we don't like to talk about too much because it's a bit awkward sometimes, but do you think the enemy's going to just welcome you back in and then go, oh, have a nice life? Of course not. Escaped slaves get punishment. And we should be really aware of that when we've walked out of slavery into sin, into bad stuff that was in our life, into addiction or whatever it was. When you come out, you must, must, must not go back in because it won't come with a welcome letter and a bunch of flowers after about the first five minutes. So this is a really important thing that, that Paul is saying, that you didn't do, go through all that pain in vain, and we don't want to go backwards. Right, so next, next section of the verse. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by you believing what was heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited, him, credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right, stay with me here. Okay? I've got an issue with this. I have a big issue with Abraham. Abraham, by the way, was held up as, uh, as a man of faith by Jesus, by Paul, and by Peter. So if you're going to get a recommendation, those are three good, p- pretty good people to recommend you. My problem with this is the following. Here's a list of things that Abraham did well. Uh, he left his home and went to a new country when God told him to. Obedience. He took the poorer half of the land when uh, he had to split land with his, um, uh, his brother-in-law, Lot, uh, He went and rescued Lot when he got himself in trouble after that. And he was willing to sacrifice and kill his own son when God told him to. Here's a list of the things that Abraham did not do so well. Twice, he pretended his wife was his sister, essentially lending her out to more powerful kings, including Pharaoh, who ended up getting punished for it, and then took a load of cash in order to leave Egypt. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, He believed God when God told him in very old age that he was going to have a child, but then he stopped believing it, tried to fix the situation, slept with a hired help, and uh, what we would now consider an abuse of a position of authority. Then he booted that kid and his now ex-girlfriend out with not even enough food and water into the desert. And number four, he was willing to sacrifice and kill his own son when God told him to. But this man is held up as a pillar of someone who is faithful before God and who we should imitate. Let me tell you about God. He's got a bit of form for this. Now, if you don't know what form is, it's a police term. Um, There was a a ram raid at uh, Medway at the Hempstead Valley Shopping Centre the other day, and they took some um, ATMs, cash machines, out of the wall with the JCB. I was watching the footage, laughing at myself at how inept they were, dropping them on the floor and something like that. But anyway, the detectives who are looking into that crime can narrow that crime down to... Maybe 20 people, because the form, the MO, the modus operandi, the way it's being done is so specific that hardly any criminals are up for it. So God's form, uh, in this respect, is that he has a terrible habit of dealing with people like this. So, uh, where's Ola? Ola, are you here today? Hello, Ola. Hi. Ola, you're about to uh, pop, for a better phrase, aren't you? Yes. Uh, And to the rest of you breeders, uh, you all chose 
mostly biblical names for your children. My mum did. I'm Joel. I'm David. You know, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? A morose prophet and a philandering king. Um, <laughs> just saying. But I've never seen anyone name their child Manasseh. Anyone wonder why? No? Okay, let me give you the headlines. Uh, from the newspaper written by uh, Jeremiah, uh, he wrote, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, talking about Israel, because of what Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. So, uh, brief history of Manasseh, king of Judah. Uh, throne, took the throne at age 12, reigned for 55 years, died when he was 67 Rebuilt the high places for the gods, uh, for the uh, for the um, for the gods who were not the Lord. He built altars to Baal, which was um, a god of war and death. He put an Asherah pole, which is another kind of altar, inside the courts of the temple. He consulted mediums. He practiced divination. He shed a ton of innocent lives. Frankly, he made Game of Thrones look like an episode of Balamori, or should I say Balamori? Oh. Spent all day thinking that one. And then, as if they hadn't topped that off, he sacrificed his own son in the fire for purposes of divination. Yeah, thought that would take the fun off it. So God punished him. He took the Assyrian army, they swept across, took him and his kingdom out, and he was taken away and put in slavery, he was put in chains. And while he was in chains, he had a change of heart. He changed his heart completely. In fact, it says in the Bible, uh, in Chronicles 33, uh, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought an army against them and took Manasseh prisoner, blah, 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 blah. In his distress, he sought the favour of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. And after that, he went around undoing all the bad things he did as much as he could. Why does Manasseh make it into the Bible? Because the Lord's got form for pointing out people who are a bit rubbish, who change their mind and their hearts and start believing in him. For all who rely on the work of the law are under a curse... As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Right, I know you all followed that, don't worry, there's another page, good news. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, let me give you an example of that. This is my brand new mobile phone. Everybody say, Huawei. Huawei. Who knows something about Huawei? (laughs) I'll tell you something about Huawei. This Chinese phone, which is the best you can buy on the market and beats an iPhone out of uh, a cocked hat, is about to be cut off by Google and the Americans, making it basically an 800-pound worth of tat. And I'll still be paying for it for another 18 months. That is a covenant contract that I cannot get out of. Just so you got that bit good. (laughs) The promises were spoken to Abram and to his seed, 
Scripture does not say two seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depended on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, this needs a bit of explanation. So let's do some explanation. Right, anybody, scientists, I know there are some in the room, anyone tell me what this is? Really? Come on, someone be brave. Someone have a guess. No? Okay. These are the electromagnetic constants, or the 15 laws by which our universe works. If any of these didn't work, then we as people wouldn't hold together, neither would the world. The whole thing would just fall apart and be a terrible mess of atoms, some of them which wouldn't even be that much. So these are the laws that make our universe work. But they're not a law that you need to obey, like, you know, speeding or whatever. They are a thing that must be and is, whether we like it or not. Now, if I jump off face first onto the floor here, I will face plant and hurt myself regardless of what I think about the law of gravity. (laughs) So some of God's laws are like this. And we use this one word, but it's really important that we don't get the two mixed up. So let's talk about the laws which are being talked about in here. Okay, because it's a complicated passage, so I'm trying to give you a little bit of a, a hook in so you can understand it better. So first comes the promise. Right? So the promise was made in Genesis 12, and it's the Lord speaking to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. It came with one condition. Anybody know what the condition was? The condition was to go. That's all. You go, you get all this. I would say that's a pretty good contract. If they said to me, you pick up your phone, but you don't have to pay for it, and you can have it free for 18 months, I'd be like, I love that, thank you, I'll go there and get it right now. There was no other stipulation that he gave to Abraham at the, uh, at the start of God's first interaction with human beings. And then, skip down past to the law, Exodus 34. So this is the bit I was telling you about when Israel first became a nation. So Abraham was a family, but when they escaped from Israel, they'd grown so much that they became a nation as we would understand it now. Now, has anybody heard the phrase new level, new devil? Good. What it means is, if you step up and do something new for God, then the enemy isn't going to find this amusing and you're going to have a new problem to deal with. Not something you can't deal with, but something that's a new problem. So my suggestion to you is that at the point that Moses got the Ten Commandments, 430 years after Abraham was first spoken to, that's what the 430 meant, he gets a whole new set of rules. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the ceremonial law that goes with it. And it is mighty complex. There's a lot of stuff for them as a nation. Some of it's kind of like to give them a bit of a guide as to how to behave between each other, because like... You know, they had nothing. They had no written constitution. They had no police force. They had nothing at all to make them into a nation. And they were launched into the desert. So they needed a structure to live as a people. And then, fast forward a few more sets of 430 years to David, then to the exile, then to Jesus. Amazing. Three sets of 430 years. I'll leave that one with you. Jesus dies on a cross to start the new covenant under which we live now. 
which we know means that we are under no law whatsoever because we are forgiven completely of everything and released into the freedom of the Spirit. So you can see the progression from promise to a complex law to the new life we have today. But there's an awkward bit in the middle, which I've coloured blue to make it easier for you. Now, I spotted this because uh, one of those things I told you there, Lot went and rescued, uh, sorry, um, Abraham went and rescued Lot in the fall of Sodom. So Sodom was um, a collection of city-states. So there wasn't a big country. There was lots of little countries, you know, 1,000 people each, just towns, basically, that were having wars with each other. And Lot got himself mixed up in the wrong one and had to be rescued. Now, when we think of Abraham's family he was able to muster 383 crack troops to go and rescue Lot. So we're not talking that small, are we, really? He'd grown quite a bit in his blessing in the time that he'd been out there. But what it says about Sodom is that there was an outcry to the Lord, which he heard, because their sin was so grievous. Now, the problem we've got here is they haven't had the rules yet. Have they? The rules didn't come for another... 220 years, whatever it was. They hadn't been told what to do. So there must be an expectation on us from the Lord that what we do is morally right. Because otherwise, how could the people of Sodom have done the wrong thing? And by the way, just to be clear, it wasn't homosexuality that they were being punished for. It was rape and a lot worse. It was... There was a moral understanding in our hearts from day one that some things are right and some things are wrong. You do not need to teach children absolutely everything. Some things, don't punch your sister. But other things, and as we grow up, we, we know. We know, we know, because God set it in our hearts. That is the moral law. And Jesus did not free us from the moral law. If he did, what was the point of the Sermon on the Mount, where he listed a lot of moral things we should be doing? In fact, he talked predominantly about the moral law, which isn't really a law at all, because it's not written down that you have to obey it. It's more an action of the heart. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's talk about tithing, everybody's favourite subject. Uh, If I can find an example. Right. As I just told you, we live under grace now, by the Spirit, so we don't have to tithe. Simon Keeley having an apoplectic moment at this moment, seeing all the money disappearing from the church, but we don't have to. That wasn't sent, plus actually quite a bit more, that you had to give, and it was required. That was the law, okay? Ceremonial law. But the moral law says this. Well, my heart is for the poor, for the work of the church, for the lost. I want to give money to this. I want to see this uh, endeavour succeed. I want to give whatever I can, the most I can. That's what the moral law says. And then there's the promise. The promise has stood from the beginning that you will be blessed all the way down. The promise has never changed. It's never been got got rid of. The other law complemented the promise, but this promise stretches all the way down. And in fact, it's been added to on the way with extra promises, one of which is if you give the money, the, the tithe, you'll be blessed, right? In fact, you'll be so blessed, overflow, that you won't know what to do with it. You can find that in Malachi if you're interested. But it's, do you see the difference between the ceremonial law, I must be circumcised, the moral law, I want to do what's right, and then the promise and the life of Jesus in new life, which is 
that we get to partake in what God's doing and move on from there. It's so important that we understand the stipulated differences between these because there's a serious problem with the ceremonial law if we still work under that. I think the obvious place to go and look at this is in the centre of Buddhism. Venerable Deepan, is this the most special place for Buddhists? Yes, definitely. This is the holiest place for all Buddhists. Uh, it is considered that every Buddhist should visit once in a lifetime. visiting from? I'm from Singapore. What is the significance to you as a Buddhist of this place? Well, this is considered the epicenter of Buddhism. It's where Lord Buddha achieved enlightenment. And how would you describe enlightenment to me? It just means that you awaken, gone beyond the material world. Yeah. Have you been able to achieve that yourself? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, My heart broke when I saw that. I was like, wow, that, that there is moral striving. That there is trying to operate under a law that we don't have to operate under. That guy has been going to the temple and trying to achieve enlightenment for his entire life with zero expectation that he will ever achieve it. Praise God that that is not our expectation. We got ours front-loaded, boom, up the front... When God called us, when God died on a cross for us, we received everything up front. We're not waiting for it. We got it. Now we're just working out what to do with it. The big, big problem here is making sure we don't step back into the law. Now, you might be saying to me, all right, well, what was the point of the law then? Well, the point of the law is that it was a little bit like uh, a walking bus. Seen this? So... um, this didn't happen when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to pick up my younger sister and walk halfway across Tankton, but of course now everybody's terrified to do that. Um, so now they go in these things called walking buses where all the children wear yellow and they, they walk along in a big long line holding hands. And it's a good thing, right? It's a protection, a guardian uh, around the children in order to get them safely from where they were to where they need to be. The law was the same. It was designed to get them safely from the start of nationhood to the arrival of Jesus. That was the point of it. But you don't need a walking bus once you've arrived at school. So don't go back and stand in the playground and move around on a walking bus all day. You look weird. But lots of us do it. Because now our salvation is by faith and not by the things we do which are works. But you say, well... I don't know. I know that. I know that. I'm, I'm good with that. But are you really? Let me ask you a question. If, and I'm going to aim this mostly at the men. If I banned you from doing anything in church for a year, how would you feel about that? It's so easy. And I know I've done it. That what you do in church becomes who you are. 
And worse than that, you can look down your nose at people who aren't doing anything. Now, you might say, well, you know, Joel, you're an idiot. That is correct. (laughs) And I have done this a lot. And I still catch myself doing it today. And worse than that, sometimes I catch myself thinking that that I know not to do that, so that makes me better than people who don't know not to do that. Yeah, I despair. I despair of myself sometimes. Our salvation is by faith alone. Everything we do after that is on top. And this is the thing that Paul is having a go at the Galatians for, because they thought that if they went back and did some stuff, that they would improve on or be sure of their salvation. It does not work like that. I might be the only person who's that stupid in this church, but if I was a betting man and I went to Ascot, which I believe is on this weekend, and I was to put, uh, I don't know, my house on the 10.30 at Riverside on a horse named Dumbass, my money is that I would win because some of you would be there with me, all right? It's a really subtle problem that we need to be very, very aware of. I've skipped a few bits because time is going forward. Julian warned us last week, didn't he, about pride. And the problem is it is pride because it's painful to admit that that we've got nothing to offer God whatsoever. My best ability at speaking impresses God none whatsoever. Your best ability at serving doesn't impress God. What God wants is your trust and your belief and your faith in him. Did you know that God has a love language? Have you seen that book, Five Love Languages, whatever it is? Gifts, talking to people, hugging, something else, something else. Don't know what they are. Um, Thank you. Boom. Right, those ones. But God has a sixth one. God has a love language called obedience. And not in that kind of boyfriend-girlfriend way where you're like, oh, you know, uh, if you don't do what I say, oh, you, I, you don't love me. Not that, that kind of manipulative. God has a love language of obedience because he, he knows what's best for us. He commands us to do what's best for us. So if, and it says, doesn't it, if you love me, you will obey me. That's God's love language. And the important thing to note about that is that God's presence, God's spirit, the anointing, as we call it, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, rides on obedience. Someone said to me recently, I wish we could see people coming in to the church in tens instead of ones, in hundreds instead of tens. I can tell you when that will happen. It'll happen when we allow God's anointing to ride on our obedience. And it will be painful. It's not down to us. We can't earn it or work it. It'll be God's timing when God wants to do it. But if we want to see it, then we're going to have to be more obedient. And the thing about this is, the way we came in to relationship with Jesus is the way we carry on. The way in is the way on. So you came in with nothing, believing. You want to go on, you have to accept you've got nothing and trust him. Now, I used to hate preachers um, when I'd go to uh, conferences when I was younger, And they would tell me, do this, do that, the other. And the bit they would miss is the how. And I'd be sitting there going, yeah, I know. But every time I try and be nice, then I mess it up. I will go to school, work, whatever, and decide I will be the nicest person there today. I will love them all. 
And then someone from the CID will walk in. <laughs> Bless my detective colleagues. But it's true. They will bring me the job they didn't want to deal with because they couldn't be bothered. They will look down their nose at me, even though they're two ranks below me. They will annoy everything out of me. <laughs> and all my plans to be nice will go down the loo. Because I cannot achieve this by works of my own decision. The way I have got better at this, not perfect, but better, is by, number one, God said he would bring us on, spiritually mature us, make us better. I believe him. I expect to be better this week than I was last week. I spend time in relationship with him, and that includes reading his word, but I don't do it in a kind of, oh, I've got to do 10 minutes. I'm like, do you know what, Lord, I actually feel like um, a bit of Bible time now. Cool, let's do it. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for discipline, but if discipline becomes your work, then it's pointless, useless, worthless. So the way in is the way on. So if you know you need a better heart for the poor, for instance, you know you think you, you're not, okay, you're not that passionate about something. I don't know what the thing is. You think you're feeling a little bit guilty. I should be passionate about that. You can't work up a bit of passion by just sitting there going, yes, I should be more like that. You will work up a new heart for the lost or maybe the disabled, whatever it is that you think God is bringing you in your heart for, by spending time in relationship with God. So the way in, it says in Galatians, is the way on. Completely lost where I am. I'm on a complete ramble now. Right. Quick explanation of the gospel of grace. Because this is how you first received Jesus. You heard a message. But sometimes, have you heard people, preachers say, um, just seeing the clock, never mind. Uh, have you heard people say, say that, what is grace? Because grace is a bit of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? We don't hear about it much. It comes in various songs. So uh, grace is God's undeserved favour. Heard that? Yep. But it's only half the story. Grace is God's undeserved favour, but also his power to change lives. If you don't get these two bits right, you just get undeserved favour, and then you sit there going, mm, that was nice, wasn't it? You've got to have that. That leads to healing. You can treat the word of the Lord like medicine. Do you know that? You can have, if you've got a problem, like I've got a problem with anger, but with the CID. So if I read the parts of the Bible that deal with anger, I allow room for the Lord to change my heart on that subject. There's no point me reading about prosperity or about, I don't know, worshipping idols if I've got a problem with anger. Read the bit of the Bible that applies to you. And you'll end up with a stronger heart. This is my nemesis. This is a snowboard bike. I learned to ride when I was very young and I was really terrible at learning to ride. I would just fall off, even with stabilisers on, and face plant into the garden. Uh, fast forward a few years, my dad was very irritated by me, so he locked me in the garden and shut the French doors and went, you are not coming back in until you have learned to ride up and down the path. <laughs> Eventually, after much more falling off, I learned to ride. Fast forward another ten years, I was uh, in Finland learning to snowboard with my brother, who's a snowboard instructor who can do half-pipe jumps and annoying things like that. I spent most of my time falling on my face. 
at some point, I managed to do something called a linking turn, just like this. And I thought, how the hell did that happen? Every 500 times I did that before, I fell on my face. Now here, someone has invented a bike and a snowboard. I have no idea if I can ride it, but I know if I want to learn that I just keep on doing the thing the instructor told me, and eventually it will come good. That's the message of God's grace. We go on as we started, and we keep going, and somehow, and don't ask me to explain this, you become nicer. You become more like Jesus. But you don't do it by making your mind up and deciding that's how you're going to be. Sorry, it doesn't work. Bad news for you. Okay, sermon hasn't gone exactly where I expected today, so I think think what I've done, we've run out of time. I'm going to finish with just a prayer, really. I hope that somehow in this mangled mess of things you've understood the difference between the various promises and laws that came through the Bible. It's a complex thing to do in 35 minutes, 40 maybe. But the key message, the key takeaway here is that we mustn't slide back into doing. It's all about grace and God's power in our lives. I'd ask you today to read it in the message because in the message they've done a really good job of turning that garbled message there into English. I promise you if you read it you'll have a better understanding. Take that homework and do something this afternoon, not because I tell you, because you're moved in your heart and you want to. If you don't want to, skip it. Honestly, you're free to skip it. But if you think you'll read it and it will give you a better understanding and the Lord will move in your heart, then this sermon can continue into the afternoon while I'm at home packing for my holiday. (laughs) Simon, would you come and pray? Should we stand? We prayed right at the start of today that our hearts would be open, so let's continue. Maybe you want to put your hands out today as an expression of an open heart. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are alive and you speak through your word. And I pray, God, today that all that's... Joel's try to condense that quote into a pint pot, as it were. And I just pray by your spirit you would take what he said and impart it into our spirits, God. For the freedom we live under, the grace that we truly receive through Christ, I pray that would be the, uh, would be the voice, the narrative that is continued throughout this week. And God, whenever we hear a voice of condemnation, a voice of negativity... Uh, a religious spirit fire. I just pray, God, that we'd live under the freedom of who you are in us. We thank you, God, that you're at work in every single one of our lives by your spirit. We pray this week, God, you'd deepen that communion with us. We'd hear your voice, even the small things, even the quiet things. We'd know your presence. So, God, we bless you and we thank you for being here with us today. And, God, would you rest on us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for running over a little bit with us. Coffee's still available. Go and grab some. See you soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.